0: God absolutely is. It is the highest thought, the highest fact, and the greatest bit of knowledge that there is. There is nothing more foundational, nothing more central, and nothing more consummate than the fact that God is. And since worship is our response to this fact, we should take a great deal of of care in understanding what worship is and how we worship. So that's what I want to look at a little bit today. <clears throat> and as I said, as this, this response of, of worship to this fact is um, it, what it encompasses, um, it's what God made us for. So worship then is our ultimate purpose. It's our response to, his, to him being for his glory. There's a number of reasons I say this, um, and three major ones in ascending order are... I've actually just got scriptures here, and if I could have the Revelation scripture there. Um, You can go to verse 9. Right. Worship God. This is the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, and it is the last duty of man. Worship God. The second reason I say this is that we worship God expresses what we believe to be true about God. In other words, our worship reveals our perspective of God and our value for God. And thirdly, which is the key reason that I started with, is Exodus 3.14. Uh, I am who I am, God said to Moses when he said, who should I say sent me? He said, tell them I am sent you. Is this right? No? Exodus 3.14. Okay, but I am who I am. Yeah, we have a banner that... There, there. I am that I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good too. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. Um, that, you know, this is, this is the foundation. This this name of God is why they are these names of God. You see that abandoned all around here. These names of God are because this name of God is. He is that he is. Make no mistake. We are all immortal. We are created beings, so we haven't lived from eternity, but we are living to eternity. We will exist for eternity forward. Eternal existence is a terrifying, terrifying prospect if it doesn't include eternal life. And this is why there's such a deep importance to worship because of Matthew 6.21. This is why there's such a deep and terrifying fight for your worship. Because who you worship is who you will spend your eternal existence with. So put, put this simply, who you worship determines whose you are forever. And so, where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. And we're going to talk about the treasuring up of Christ a little bit later as our expression of worship. So then there are two great questions on, uh, to ask on the topic of worship. Uh, one, how, how do you worship? And two, who do you worship? We're going to deal with uh, who you worship um, next week to some degree. So for now, my purposes in, in, in this discussion is, is uh, to assume that you worship God. This may or may not be true, uh, but if it is true, then I pray that today will aid you in, in how to worship God. And uh, if it is not true, then I pray that as you hear about what it is like to worship God and therefore to understand what God is like, because of response to Him, it really is my prayer that the Holy Spirit will meet with you as, as I speak and draw you to life in Him. He's the fullness of all in all, and He fills all in all. And so I've been, I've been praying for a few days, and I prayed again this morning that um, if it is not true that you worship God, that He will touch you today and draw Him to, to Himself. So let's begin. Uh, in the New Testament, there's an utterly stunning degree of indifference to worship as an outward and localized thing, to being ritualized. And there's an utterly radical intensification of worship as an inward and Christward experience of the heart. And it might sound uh, contradictory to say inward and Christward, but you should know that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, in the right sense, inward. I don't mean selfward. I mean inward, because Christ is in me. So, and I'll give you some just some basic stats. I like I like stats um, about about this. Yeah, because I'm an accountant and these things excite me. Um, yeah, I do. I do need to get a life. Elle tells me that every day. Um, <laughs> One Corinthians fourteen twenty-three, Acts twenty-four verse six, and Hebrews ten verses twenty-five all speak of meetings and gatherings together, but there is no mention explicitly of worship gatherings. So gathering only for the purpose of worship. There's no mention of that at all in the New Testament, which is interesting because in the Old Testament, the the primary word for worship used is hishtavah. Which is used 171 times. 164 times it's translated as proskunio, which means to fall before with glory and uh, at the glory and and in awe and um, terror and and praise and all these things. In the Greek New Testament, this word is only used uh, 50 odd times. 26 times are in the Gospel. 21 times are in Revelation, and both of these are understandable, right? Because in the gospel Jesus was there. So people saw him manifest and they fell before him. That's so it often said they fell before Jesus. In Revelations the elders fall before um, the Lord, right? There's only one other mention outside of the Gospels and Revelation in the whole of the New Testament about Proscunio. And that is an unbeliever coming into the church and falling down at the power of prophecy. That's the only one. Never is it mentioned in the the epistles um, about that being our response. It is a valid response, and we'll come back to that just now. But the point is to draw people away from an understanding that that is what worship is. Okay? So... Why is it the case that this is not mentioned when these letters are fundamental to the formation and foundation of the churches, right? Paul is correcting doctrines and setting out the way of, of life and how to relate to God. So we, 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 we should pay careful attention to the focuses that Paul has during, during these times. We'll take this in contrast now to what Jesus was saying, despite that people were actually falling before him. Have we got Mark eleven seventeen? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, he didn't say my house shall be called a house of worship for all nations. It does say in Scripture that the whole of the, the, of the earth will, will worship God. There'll be in all nations and tongues that they'll be worshiping God. But Jesus said that my house right, um, is, is to be called a house of prayer. He was focusing away attention from outward acts of Jewish sacrifices and pointing them towards the personal act of communion and sacrifice in that sense with Jesus. And then he said something extraordinarily radical. Uh, in Matthew 12, verses 6, he said, something greater than the temple is here. So he was saying to people whose entire value was for the temple because that's where the presence of God was and that's where they worship. He said, something greater than that is here. And in John 2:19, uh, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So in both cases, he's pointing to himself to say, it's now me that the centers around. It does not center around a building, and it does not center around outward acts. It centers around me. So in identifying himself as the true temple, he was fulfilling everything, that the Old Testament temple as a picture stood for. Uh, Worship doesn't need a building. It doesn't need a priesthood. And it does not need a sacrificial system. It needs the risen Jesus. That's the fact of worship. And as we go into the, the key scripture on worship, which is John 4, 20 to 24... We're going to um, take, a, take a little walk through this. Now, you, you'll be familiar with it um, as the, the woman um, at the well where Jesus is speaking to, to her. And uh, we find some extraordinarily interesting things where he actually reveals the heart of worship to someone who um, he shouldn't. Um, he was so excited about it, in a sense. Um, Jesus makes it clear to this lady that worship is no longer outward. But inward, and it's no longer localized, but pervasive. And the way he does this is, this this lady uses the word prescunio when she talks about when she says the word worship here. It's the word prescunio to fall before. So she says, and she says this mountain um, where they worship. So she's saying, we fall before in worship on this mountain. So she's identifying worship as a thing you do at a place, right? Okay. Uh, Jesus turns this on his head and he says, the hour is coming, which means in the, in the age to come, and now is, which means in me. Jesus, not me. <laughs> and what marks this true future worship that is broken into the present time from the glorious age to come is that it is not bound by localization and form. Instead, Of being in this mountain or in Jerusalem or this church. It is, and in a particular outward form, it is now in spirit, heart word, and in truth, head word. The idea is not that it will be wrong to worship in a place, in a way, right? Okay. Um, But that this is not what makes worship, worship. In spirit and in truth is what makes worship, worship. Right, so the building is non-essential to worship. The body is non-essential to worship. God is spirit and so he must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. The, The body and the building and all the ceremony and whatever, if we're honest, they actually often get in the way. What are you going to do if you're meeting out in the jungle with a million people? You're going to say, well, I'm sorry, we just can't have a church meeting. There will be no salvation today because we do not have a building. And sorry, we don't speak your language, so, you know, we can't worship. Um, Because all different cultures in all different places across the world have different expressions of worship, and they're all valid if they're in spirit and in truth. And that's what we need to understand. You will see that's part of what really deeply crushes people in religious systems, is that it's all constrained to a place and a priesthood and a sacrificial system and an outward form of worship. And uh, Jesus came to release us from that into worshiping him in spirit and truth. So also as a disclaimer, I'm I'm not now saying that corporate worship or that church is, is dispensable and quite the opposite, in fact. The, na- the nature of true worship, of not being outward and localized, is not an excuse for not attending church. Our functioning healthily in the body of Christ, um, as he has built his church, is absolutely mission critical. And when I say mission, I mean our co-mission in Christ. And he's decided that the church is the way that will be equipped to do the works of ministry. So if you if you have a belief somewhere in your heart that says you don't ne- need to be at church, um, that's not True, um, you need to be at church, but I am talking about a difference in the way that we worship. Right? Another really, really, really important thing. It's Matthew fifteen eight to nine. And Jesus is quoting something from Isaiah. Um, he says, "This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me." So, his issue is that it doesn't matter what you say. It matters what's happening in the heart. So he is saying that when the heart is far from God, it doesn't matter what you say or what you do. Your worship is vain. It's empty and it's not. It's non-existent. It, worship is primarily a matter of the heart. This experience of the heart is the defining, the the vital and the indispensable essence of what worship really means. This means it can be done any way, in any place, by any people. And this is what the gospel gets at, that we are, and it's a fundamental value in this church because it's a value to Jesus, is that we are a priesthood of all believers. So we don't have a priestly system that is exclusive. We have a priestly system that is all-inclusive of everyone who is a new creation in Christ Jesus is now a minister of the gospel so, what do these two phrases mean in spirit and in truth? Um, I think a lot of people have various theories um, that have have come up over the centuries, but I, I think there's one or two fundamental things for for each of them. Is that I take in spirit to mean that worship is is carried along by the Holy Spirit and is mainly happening as an inward spiritual event, and not mainly as an outward bodily event. And this is why so many of the people I know struggle so much. Because they come and say to me, Alex, I just can't feel God. It's a valid thing. That's what people struggle with. And um, we all struggle with it in, in, in times. But you know what it is? It's, an un, it's a misunderstanding of I am that I am. That fact is enough. Because that is the, that is the true experience of the Spirit. If you know what that is, that's, that's it. You don't need anything else. You don't need to feel. You don't need to yell. You don't need to um, dance. Those are all valid expressions. Again, I'm not saying anything against them. But you don't need those things in order to be worshipped. They're simply expression of worship. See the difference? Worship is what's going on in my heart. And what I do is how I'm expressing that to God and to other people. But the main thing is that he knows what's going on in my heart. Okay, so... If it's primarily something that's an inward spiritual experience of the, of the heart, right? then it doesn't matter what I'm feeling or what I'm seeing or, or what I'm hearing or whether I like the worship or not. I mean, for heaven's sake. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> I, no, I mean, I mean, really. Really. This is, uh, this is a deeply, deeply, deeply important thing for you to grasp. I, I'm, I'm not saying you can't have issues with bad theology and all that kind of thing. I actually encourage you to, um, a, to take a stand against that. But just because you don't like the style or the, or the whatever, if you understood worship to be an inward experience of the heart, you wouldn't have those thoughts. And you certainly wouldn't say to your friend after, after worship, you say, oh, I just didn't get that much out of worship today. What is worship for to you then? Who is worship for? It's for God. So Mary Ellen, I think, is going to go into some detail on it, so I'll stay away from that section I had on that. But I want to make a main point, is that worship is an end in itself. Worship is not for my breakthrough. Worship is not for my healing. Worship is not for my empowering. Those are things that happen because my worship directs me to God. And those are things I receive as a result. I don't worship for breakthrough, but I worship God. And when I worship God, I know that He is that He is. And breakthrough pours into my life. And there's a big distinction between those, those things. And um, I take in truth to mean that this, that this worship, true worship, is a response to true views about God. And is shaped and guided by true views about God. And this is so critical because Paul exhorts us to earnestly desire the milk of the word. Because if God is not really glorified by you worshipping for what you don't know about him. Because then what are you worshipping? So worship is our response to I am that I am, all that he is. So if you're responding to who he isn't, that's that's not worship. He wants you to be invited into an encounter with him by Holy Spirit breathing on this truth in your life so that you will be able to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Okay, And I'm, I'm not saying that that doesn't mean that if there's something you don't understand, you don't worship God. That's not what I mean at all. But I am saying that truth is critical. Just like spirit is critical. And Allah is always pushing me on this balance because I'm very academically inclined. And you know that I love the Holy Spirit. But I, I love... The academics and seeing how things fit together and, and I'm just being reminded daily this is what spiritual fathering looks like to be balanced between spirit and, and word which is truth and so I encourage you to do that. Most churches have like one way overweighting in one direction or the other. And neither is healthy in isolation because God has designed you to worship him in spirit and in truth. Not ninety percent in spirit and ten percent in truth. Or ten percent in spirit and ninety percent in truth. So this means read your Bibles. I, I get I, I've had a few issues in the last couple of weeks with um, with counsel for some people who've told me the counsel that they've received from other people that they've asked, and I just I just I, w- I want to f- find out who those people are and say, how can you tell someone something that's not in the Bible. That's against what's what's written in here because all it's doing is breaking down their lives. This counsel is to build up your life. And if you if you you don't you don't need another prophetic word, you don't need another counselor, you don't need another this, this, those are all valid things. But you you don't need them, you need God who is who he is. And who he is is in here. This should be This is the most valuable thing in the whole world second to God, including Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Okay? (laughs) I'm just being careful with my disclaimers because you never know what goes on. Uh, But I mean that. This is more precious than your child, than your wife, than anything else because it is the revealed nature of God to us in Christ Jesus. Because, okay, I'll prove it to you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Hello. I thank God every day that I never have to go, God, where are you in my life? Because he goes, hello. This is a victorious Christian life. Do you have to go from counseling session to counseling session to counseling session? Or do you go to the Holy Spirit who says, I will lead you into all truth? Preach (laughs) it. Okay. True worship is not orientated on a place or an event. So as I said, proscenia is not used much outside of Revelation and the Gospels. And the real reason for that is that the word doesn't make clear enough what worship is really meant to look like. Um, In the epistles, something very different is happening to how in the Gospels people were responding to Jesus and how in Revelation um, the elders were responding to God. And Jesus is not present in visible glory to fall before. And to a few very fortunate people in recent and not so recent time, he has been. Um, And that's great, and just like the angels, people's response would be to fall before him. But for most of us who, by grace through faith, are saved, not by grace through sight on a regular basis, um, we have something altogether rather different going on. And the tendency of the early church, as it moved out of, of Jerusalem, thanks to to Paul's teaching was to deal with worship as primarily primarily inward and and spiritual rather than outward and and, uh, ritualistic, and primarily primarily pervasive rather than primarily localized. So as a a further example, the next most frequent word for worship in the Old Testament, after the word proscunio, is the word latrio. if I'm pronouncing that right. Over 90 times it's used, almost always translating as Abad, which means to serve, literally, um, as it was used in Exodus 23-24, where he said, you shall not worship their gods or serve them. Okay, so this word, word serve. Paul makes it clear that this too is not outward or localized in form, which is destroying the whole notion of what, what the Jewish people understood, what serving meant. To serve meant you had to do something, right? We'll talk next week um, about the scripture that says that God is not served by the hands of man. So you cannot serve God in that sense. Your, serve, your service to God, like being a servant of God, That's that's different. But we're talking about in the serve. There's nothing you can do for God that he needed. Do you understand that? That's critical because he is. There's nothing you can do for God that he needed. But he's written a very long letter to you about what he wants to do for you. Okay, so serve is, 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 is a response um, in, in our lifestyle of worship and various other things which we'll talk about, but we're not using it primarily in the terms of doing something, which the, in the, that was an Old Testament understanding in, in, in Jewish religion. Okay, so Paul's coming against this, and, and he says um, some examples of him showing how your life is your act of serving and worship when lived in the right spirit. So I'll just give you some examples. Romans 1 verse 9. He says. I serve God in my spirit. In the preaching of the gospel. So his preaching is a service. In Philippians 3 verse 3. Paul says that true Christians. Worship God in the spirit of God. So spirit again. And put no confidence in the flesh. So nothing you're doing. Paul in Romans 12.1, he urges Christians to present their bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God, which is spiritual worship. So he's talking about your, um, the presentation of your life to God, and your body, everything about you. The presentation, the submission of all of who you are to God's purposes as being, as being a service. So you will see the same thing if you take the New Testament use of the Old Testament uh, language in the temple for sacrifices and priestly service, because again these were outward, ritualistic, and localized in form. And he says in Hebrews thirteen verse fifteen, the praise and thanks of the lips is called a sacrifice to God by Paul there, right? In Hebrews thirteen sixteen, good works in everyday life are called. A sacrifice to God. Paul calls his own ministry a priestly service of worship. Paul calls the converts themselves an acceptable offering in worship to God in Romans fifteen sixteen, and Philippians two seventeen. He even calls the money that the churches send their tithes to him a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice to God in worship in Philippians four eighteen. And he calls his death for Christ a drink offering. And these are all Old Testament pictures. And he's now showing that they are to be transmuted into holiness in life. Right? They were all about what you did. And it's now all about the holiness of your life in Christ Jesus. Because you have imputed righteousness. And he is conforming you into his image. In the Old Testament... Faith in God was a a big and opulent, come-see religion. And in in the New Testament, it is a lean, mean, stripped-down, in-the-heart, go-tell religion. And it is a religion, but it's not religious in the negative sense that we use it. And it's important, because I have hundreds of people here on a regular basis saying, I don't have a religion, I have a relationship. I say, well, then you're in big danger, because the word religion means to be bound to. And I very definitely want to be bound to the God I have a relationship with. I certainly do not want to be coming on my Sunday for my t- top up of my tank. I am deeply bound, bound by the covenant that he made. And to reject what he has for you as a religion is to reject his covenant that he's made with you. And I know people do that unwittingly, but I'm hoping that if you do do that, that you now realize that that's what that means. And you don't need to placate your friends by saying, "Oh, I don't have a religion. I don't. I'm not religious. I'm not religious." You need to explain to them what that word even means, and to say religious people in the negative connotation don't have don't actually um, have faith in God. They are bound to the devil. That's what it says in here. That by your work, by their works you will know who the children of God are. Okay. So transmuted, all the Old Testament sacrifices are transmuted into, into holiness and life. So buildings should be stripped down, lean, mean, mission machines, if they're done right. So we are released to worship among the nations and in the streets or in the businesses or in the classrooms. This is where the real worship is also meant to happen, because our life is meant to be a testament to people about who we worship. So even when Paul calls us to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody with our heart to the Lord, and always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord. This is in um, Ephesians. There is no reference to a time or a place or a church service. In fact, the key word in this text is always. One, two, three, four, five times. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of Jesus, he says in Colossians 3.16. This may, in fact, be what we should do in a worship service as well. But it's not Paul's burden to be telling us that that's the only place that it should be done. In fact, quite the opposite. His burden is to call for a radical and inward authenticity of worship. And an all-encompassing pervasiveness of worship in all of our lives. Including the conversation with the boss that hates you, or the disobedient child, or whatever it is. Place and form are not of the essence. Spirit and truth are all important. The shift is onto what is happening in the heart, not just on Sunday, but in every day and at all times, in all of life, in all things. This is what it means when we read things in, like in 1 Corinthians 10.31. 10, 30, 10, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I know so many people who walk around quoting that verse. I want to do all to the glory of God, which means they'll do the big things to the glory of God. You know, I, I turn the steering wheel of my car to the glory of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I wouldn't want to do it another way. Why would you want to do a single thing in your life that isn't a fragrant aroma, a sacrifice and an act of worship to God? Why wouldn't you want to be continually aware that Christ is with you? And then you wouldn't have to, to come to church on Sunday once a week to cry, God, where are you in my week? And he goes, well, where were you in mine? And then another one is uh, Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So this is the form of worship that is commanded in the New Testament, that we act in a way that reflects the value of the glory of God to us in our lives. It means, so what does that mean? It means to do everything in the name of Jesus to the glory of God, giving thanks to him for it. That is the basic form of living worship. But the New Testament uses those greatest of all worship sentences without referring once to a worship service or a time and a place. They all describe life. Not once. They all describe life. So I'm going I'm to end with a closing thought and then a, and then a prayer. And I will be going into this in, in, in great depth next time. But most people will ask me how to evangelize. How do I tell my boss this, or my colleague this, or my friend this, or my family member who's not saved about Jesus? I want to tell you something. It is so very simple. You need to become someone who lives a life of worship. And the reason I say that, I mean, worship in spirit and in truth, where your whole life is a pleasing aroma to God, acceptable, holy sacrifice. The reason I say this is because if worship is about the inward treasuring up of Christ in our hearts, and everything we do reflects that, then people start to see the thing you value most in the world is this God who you annoyingly speak about to me all the time. And then they see that you get persecuted. And they see that something terrible happens. And they see that you worship God because he is who he is. And then they go, well, that's impossible. And then they go, then it must be something else. And then they will ask you, what is it? I'm telling you that it is... John Piper has, what I've come across and I I feel is the greatest expression... I've ever heard for life um, in in the spirit. And it's God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And this is so big. If I'm satisfied in God, he is glorified because all I'm saying is that he is all satisfying. I don't want anything else except God. I have a privilege to have family and friends and, and all these things. Um, and a job, and what, but all I want is God. And when someone can look at you in the eyes, because I get to do this, it's fun. I get to say to someone, Look at me in the eyes, and you'll see what the truth looks like. There is nothing I want in the world except for God. And they can see it's the truth, and they go, Whoa, 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 whoa. okay, all I want is success, and blah, 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 blah. But wh- what is it about Him that makes you really believe that? And it's not just saying it; it's that your life indicates it. It's that when someone cuts you off in traffic, and, they, and then the person in the car with you who's not a Christian, and you talk to God about God too all the time, and you are oh, these taxi drivers. I'm telling you, you're playing with life and death because you're now a hypocrite. Because what you say you value, you don't. Because if you valued God, you'd value what He values, which is the person who cuts you off in traffic. And your response would be, oh Lord, if I'm feeling any anger, then I want, please, cut that out of me. It's got to go. That's from the devil. It's got to go. So your reaction should be, Lord, I pray for grace and peace for this man and his family and the protection of his passengers. And I know, and it, like, I'm serious. I'm serious. I know that's a high call. <laughs> but it means everything. So my, my encouragement to you today is become satisfied in Jesus. Become satisfied in Jesus. Because God says, I am that I am. He's everything you need. Everything you need. And if you want your problems to get to have perspective, you have to treasure up Christ in your heart. Because if you're not prepared to do that, He's not prepared to counsel you. And neither am I. I'm serious. I, people say to me, "Like oh, I need help with this. And I say, like, I will absolutely help you. If you make the choice to value God above all other things. If not, you subject yourself to your own problems. And you can truly transcend your cancer, your your um, your other life-threatening illness, your loss of your job, the troubles in your family, the serious things, the death of a child... All of those things will be transcended and brought into order when you fully cherish Christ up in your heart. If you want to know what liberty looks like, it's to have nothing in your life that you value more than God. So I just, I just bless you today and I thank you God that you are so satisfying. That you are all that we need. And that you chose us before the foundation of the world to adopt us as your sons and daughters. So I pray, God, for a wisdom, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation for us as a family today that you will draw us deeper into you, teach us to value you, Jesus, to treasure you up in our hearts, that we would be released from the rubbish that has our attention, and that we would focus on the treasure that is in Christ Jesus, because there our hearts will be with you for eternity, in eternal life. And we thank you for the great gift of your blood, which has washed us white as snow before the eyes of the Father if we apply it by grace through faith. So I pray for the, the water table of faith to rise in everyone here's life and that you will give them hope for the restoration of all things by the one who fills all in all. Thank you, God. We bless your name. And we're going to worship some more. Um, and... Have fun. It is not sacrilege to say that worship is fun. It is sometimes somber and it is sometimes fun. It is always joyful. Enjoy.